0: Welcome to the Southridge Baptist Church Podcast. Today's message is from the series, I Am Jesus. In our lives, we know that it's easier to follow someone the more you get to know them. The more we get to know Jesus Christ, the more we follow Him. Through this series, we're learning that what Jesus says about Himself changes what we see in ourselves and in our situations. So prepare your hearts and lives to hear the word from God today. number 10 i hope y'all had a wonderful wonderful easter i know our family did and it was just a blessed time to be together and we're going to be looking at john chapter number 10 continuing our series our topic our theme of i am jesus jesus made several statements that uh, what we would call the i am statements of jesus and uh, these statements he makes seven of them and we started last week with the one out of John chapter number 11 where Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And when he said that, He then we see that he died, he was hung on a cross for our sins, and three days later, he got up out of the grave on his own power. He didn't faint, he didn't swoon, he got up on his own power. Well, this week, we're going to look at this sef- second topic and um i'll be honest i got a little confession to me when writing this message and even last week as i kind of came across this topic was going through it and really felt like this is what god would have us to to kind of preach through these these passages of the bible my mind kept thinking about how can i apply this in a more applicable applicable way how can i make this really practical and i almost wanted to just kind of um just kind of skip over it in a sense. See, what do you mean skip over it? I kind of wanted to get to other topics. Uh, there's, there's a series I've been wanting to do on our identity. And I kept thinking, how can I just hurry through this? I mean, we're, we're talking about Jesus. And, 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 and I knew it was important. But in my own heart, sometimes I can get to a point where Jesus can become ho-hum. Just kind of, yeah, it, it's Jesus. We know about him. He lived, he was a good man, he died for my sins, and that, we can kind of come at it with kind of almost a a cavalier attitude, and the reality is that we can be in close proximity, but still have a closed off relationship to him, and this morning, as I'm looking at this, and especially as we're going to be dealing with the topic where he said, I am the good shepherd, you and I, we kind of have this 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 kind of preconceived notion about that when jesus said i'm the good shepherd we're kind of thinking you know those pictures of quiet moments you know and just kind of we're thinking this 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 cute little kind of serene not very masculine kind of feminine jesus with a nice little white woolly sheep a little baby sheep and and the nice little shepherd staff with the crook and we kind of get this very 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 uh, PC, politically correct view of Jesus when we see the statement that he is the good shepherd. And I'll be honest, if that is our view, yeah, I wouldn't want to listen or preach that. But that's not what he's saying when he said, I am the good shepherd. That's not the image that he wants to project. Because that image, a lot of people, that's what they think they know of Jesus. This nice little soft kind of, uh, those hands that you know are well lotioned, you know, and uh, kind of one of those, when he shakes your hand, it's kind of a two-hand thing, and he just kind of has one of those little sincere handshakes, kind of looks eye, and we kind of get this, 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 this persona of Jesus that that's not who he was, and so when we approach this, I'm hoping that the Lord will speak to us and give us, help us to see it from a different vantage point. I'm not going to preach anything new, but I'm hoping that the way you see John 10 becomes new and becomes fresh to you, because I hate Looking at the word of God and just kind of not it affecting me and if you're going to come at it with oh I've heard this I know this then you're going to walk out of here the same as you came in and that's not my goal this morning My goal is that you and I would be transformed by this truth that Jesus said I am the good shepherd and I've entitled my message. He's better than good. He's great He's better than good. He's great touch a neighbor and say he's better than good He's great. Somebody look to your left, look to your right, and say, hey, he's better than good. He's great. Because this morning, I don't want you to just leave here with an image that he's just a good shepherd. He's just a nice, nice, gentle shepherd. I want you to see something much more than that. I want you to get a high and lifted up view of Jesus this morning. And like I said, you can have close proximity, but still be closed off to him. And we're going to be looking at John chapter number 10. And if you have your Bible, we haven't done this in a while. I don't think we, since our first Sunday. Can we have the respect for the word of God, if you're able? Can you stand? And I know it's kind of old-fashioned, but every once in a while, it's a good thing to do. We're going to stand, and I'm going to read verse number 1 down through verse number 11. The Bible says this, again in verse number 1. Verily, verily, I say unto you, this is, whenever you see two words, that's covenant. He's saying truly, truly, it's a covenant, it's a promise. He's saying truly, truly, I say unto you. He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber, but he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he called his sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice, and a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers." this parable spake jesus unto them but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them then said jesus unto them verily verily covenant speaking again i say unto you i am the door of the sheep all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers but the sheep did not hear them i am the door by me if any man enter in he shall be saved and shall go and go in and out and find pasture verse number 10 the thief Cometh not but for to steal, to kill, to destroy. But I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing out of respect for the word of God. All throughout scriptures, you will see a comparison made, and it may not be a comparison you and I like very much, but the comparison is this. That we, as children of God, are compared to sheep. All throughout the scripture you'll see this. And all throughout the scripture you'll see that some great patriarchs of the faith were shepherds. Uh, Think back to Genesis. Cain killed Abel. Abel was a shepherd. Abraham, kind of the, the, the founding father of the nation of Israel, Abraham was a shepherd. He was a nomad. His, uh, the Bible even talks about lots of flocks and Abraham's flocks. They fought in the sense of there wasn't enough room for them. And so Abraham was a shepherd. We see that Moses was a shepherd. Forty years on the backside of the wilderness, Moses there leading sheep, and all of a sudden there was a burning bush, and that's when Jesus, or when God spoke to Moses, and Moses was a shepherd. Hey, what about this? David was a shepherd, and God used that time in David's life to speak to him. God uses shepherds, but he makes comparison that you and I are sheep. Now, here's what's interesting. All throughout the Bible, you'll see certain animals mentioned. You'll see sheep mentioned. You will see dogs mentioned. You'll see horses mentioned. But I hate to do this to you cat lovers, but you'll never see a cat mentioned one time. Now there is the, uh, the, the, the feline family, which then, then there's lions mentioned in the Bible, but the Bible says the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So there's a connection between cats and Satan. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. It's kind of there. You can take it how you want, but uh, just saying, just saying, all right? But uh, we're talking about sheep this morning, and sheep is what we are often compared to throughout the Bible. The best sheep story I could come up with was one day in college, they were, uh, the Christian college that I went to, they had a ladies' activity, so um, all the girls were off campus doing something, so the guys had nothing to do. All of our girlfriends were off doing whatever they were doing on the ladies' activity, so a bunch of us guys didn't know what to do, and uh, where the college was, there was a bunch of open fields, and uh, our door wasn't on campus. We lived in literally almost this dilapidated house, and uh, so we all lived in this dilapidated house. It was cheap. And uh, so we're living there, and the dorm soup said, hey, um, I got this potato gun. Let's go shoot potato gun, and uh, let, let's have some fun. I was like, sure, let's do it. So he and a couple of the guys, we fill up this car. We drive to a field, and in the field we start filling up this potato gun, and we're firing off a potato gun. And uh, we found this field of sheep, and uh, we said, you know what? We it, Shooting a potato gun is fun, but it's more fun if you have something to shoot at. And we were thinking, God provided. There's sheep. This is a sign. This is a message. We have a potato gun. There are sheep. We have targets. And all of a sudden, we would get out there, and uh, you, you they, it was at nighttime, so nobody could see you. So, you know, it was fun shooting the sheep, but um, uh, they weren't moving. They were kind of asleep. So I said, okay, well, it would be more fun if we were getting the sheep to move around, a moving target. This would be even better. And so we got these sheep going, and we got out in this field, and I didn't realize— how many sheep were in this field there's hundreds and hundreds maybe about a thousand sheep all just running in chaos and you just see this potato gun just launching into these sheep and i know you're thinking man you're the cruelest person to animals you should be arrested i know i was in college we all do dumb stuff and uh, so we just had a good time well the next day i was driving by the same same road out there and i saw a police car not just one but two and then I saw this farmer holding something white and fluffy, and I just kept on driving. I guess we had accidentally killed the sheep with a potato gun. I, I didn't stop to ask how it happened. I had pictured in my mind a potato half lodged in his head, you know, or something like that. I don't know how it hit him, but we had killed the sheep with a potato gun. So that's my only sheep story that I have you this morning but we're talking about sheep and uh, now i have to make the connection back to the passage so look at this in verse number 10 and 11 the bible says the thief cometh not for but to steal kill and destroy now throughout this passage jesus is going to make he's teaching he's teaching here he's going to help make some connections because in this chapter 10 is really birthed out of chapter 8 and 9 of the scriptures You say, what happened in chapters 8 and 9? We're going to get there. But the Pharisees is who Jesus is likening to thieves and robbers. Not only Satan, the devil, but also the Pharisees. They've come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Just like we that night, we were just having fun. It was all innocent until a poor sheep is now in sheep land, heaven for that matter. But Satan has a much craftier, a much more dangerous agenda for your life. And that's where we need... The good shepherd. But like I said, he's not just good. He's great this morning. And we're going to see that a little bit more. Notice, first of all, the Bible talks about in verse number one and two. He says, Verily I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And so Jesus Christ says, hey, I'm your guard. That's why you need to be in the sheepfold. Sheep That's why you need to be in the protected area because I'll be your. Sometimes we look at Jesus as just kind of uh, somebody we pray to whenever we need something, or when the relationship's bad, I go to Jesus, or or whenever I'm feeling guilty, I go to church, and so we don't see Jesus as our guard, that He's there to protect me. So the Bible says here in verse one and two, He's my guard, so I'm protected. You say protected from what? I'm big, I'm strong, I can take care of myself. Well, you're missing what there's a hidden agenda that Satan wants to do. You say, what do you mean? We said it. He wants to kill. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But think, he's a robber. What robber wants to go in, and their agenda is, I'm going to steal from you, and I'm going to kill you, and then I'm going to destroy you? What's up with the extra one? I mean, can you get more dead than dead? I mean, once you're killed, what else is there? But Satan, he has a bigger agenda you see and as I begin to study this and I hope you don't mind we're going to kind of wade into this just a little bit more I want you to see first of all what is it that Satan wants to steal from you you see Satan looks at your life and he says hey I don't want to just ruin you I don't want to just destroy you I don't want to just hurt you I want to rob from you and it's something deeper it's not just your wealth it's not just your good health it's not just your family he says I want to take and I want to rob your resources and you're thinking my resources I don't have a lot to begin with. I'm not loaded. I don't have everything I want. And it's not just your earthly resources. It's your spiritual resources. He wants to rob your faith. He wants to rob your courage. He wants to rob your passion. He wants to rob your zeal. He wants to rob your holy vigor that you want to do something for God. He says, I want to stamp it out. I want to kill it. I want to crush it because that's what I want to do. Because after that point, once your zeal is gone, once your passion is gone, his work is almost finished. Because he's got you just kind of dead. You're just kind of dead like, I don't want to go to church anymore. I don't want to be around Christians anymore. I don't want to read my Bible anymore. I don't want to pray anymore. I'm not seeing any victory over sin anymore. I'm just kind of almost dead. See, that's where Satan starts. He says, first of all, I'm going to rob your resources. I'm going to take and I'm going to break you. I'm going to start with those things that you need in the Christian life. We need faith in the Christian life. We need patience. We need hope. We need all the fruits of the Spirit. And Satan is after those, Christian, and he's after to get those, to destroy those, to take those, to rob your resources. So it's important that you don't just see Jesus as this nice little passé, friendly little Jesus. No, no, he's your God. And if your picture of a guard is some wimpy little uh, feminine picture, that's not a very reassuring guard, is it? I'll go to some houses, and we'll do door knocking, or I'll visit them. And I don't get intimidated when I see a chihuahua. I don't. I'll boot that chihuahua into next week. I don't care. I don't like chihuahuas. Chihuahuas and cats rank about the same for me. Sorry if I've deeply offended you. But chihuahuas and cats, I mean, they're, they're they're, they're just annoying, all right? But then... If all of a sudden you have a great big old Doberman pincher, I used to deliver paper routes when I was 12, and all of a sudden you would just turn the corner, drop off the paper, and there would be that big old dog, and you're running to the next house because there's that dog, and it's chasing you. That's a good guard dog. So your picture of Jesus has a lot to do with your security. But if your security is in this, well, I don't know if Jesus could really even handle Satan because, I mean, he doesn't look very very aggressive here. I, I want something more safe and more reliable. So your view of Jesus is big because Satan wants to rob you of resources, but then he also wants to kill. That word kill, what, what is that? And as we begin to study it, it's not like what you're thinking. He wants to just murder you, you're dead. No, no, it's something else. It's something more sinister, more deep than that. It's actually he's willing to sacrifice something. You say, what do you mean sacrifice? Satan is willing to sacrifice and give you a little pleasure that ends with pain. It's what happened to Eve in the Garden of Eden. He said, hey, I got this fruit. You're going to love it. You're going to be wise. You're going to be like God. Just take it. A little bit of pleasure. What happened? They were forever dead spiritually until Jesus Christ, until his blood was shed for them. So Satan says, I'm going to sacrifice something. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to win in the short game. But in the long run, you're going to pay big time. So when Satan says, I want to kill you, he wants to do this trade with you. And man, I'll tell you what, you say, I work in the industry, and man, that boss, he'll come to you and say, hey, I need you to sign this paperwork, and just say that we spent this much money, you and I will pocket the rest, alright? We'll just kind of siphon off to the side. That's where Satan says, hey, it's a little trade, but in the end, we'll win big. But it's never worth it. That's what Satan does. He says, I want to rob you of your reason. You say, what am I, my reason? That's my purpose. He's willing to trade that. You see, Satan promises his pleasure but he always pays with pain satan knows he can't just get you to step in and take your reason from you he can't just show up in your life and say man i want to destroy your reason for being a christian you take it out of here you would never do it but you know what you and i are guilty of we're guilty of trading away our reason to keep on going in the christian life He said what do you mean we will sell out to Satan. We'll just kind of, hey, for a moment of pleasure, for a moment of fun, we'll say, yeah, I'll have it. And then that's how he begins to kill us. See, Satan always trades up. He never trades down. And young person this morning, you're thinking, hey, man, I'll just sell out on my purity. Hey, it starts out good, but it never lasts. You're saying, hey, I'm going to give in to this bad business deal. It starts out good, but it never lasts. You see, sin always takes you farther than you want to go. It always costs you more than you want to pay. And it always keeps you longer than you want to stay. That's how Satan works, folks. That's why we need a guard. That's why we need Jesus Christ. That's why he's not just a good shepherd. He's the great shepherd and we need to see that this morning you see uh more recent history we know the name bernie madoff bernie madoff was just that he promised everybody hey you're gonna win big hey give your money to me i'll take care of it i'll i'll take care of your stocks i'll take care of your resources and there were thousands of people whose lives were destroyed whose lives were ruined their financial house collapsed their portfolios gone why because one guy said hey i'm offering this but he trades in and he gets something in return But then lastly, Satan, he wants to destroy you. This means he wants to ruin you forever. It's not enough that he robbed your resources. It's not enough that he's robbed your reason for being a strong Christian. He wants to just finally then ruin you. It's like he wants to take away everything else, and then he wants to pull out the door and pull the trapdoor, and then let you fall. You see, the Greek word here is the word apolumi, which means to annihilate. This means he just wants to obliterate you. Once he's messed with you, once he's destroyed you, now it's where he finally wants to just ruin you forever. But can I say something? The Bible says this. You can resist this you can stand strong against Jesus. You say, how? How can I resist that? How can I how can I face such an opponent who has such a diabolical agenda from my life? How will I re- withstand that? There's no way. I pray about putting on the armor of God, but it just doesn't seem to be enough. Let me read a passage to you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, There are no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also... Make Make a way of escape that you may be able to bear, uh, to bear it. I wrote down this in my notes. You have to pre decide what you're going to do before the moment of temptation. Because here's what happens. Oftentimes, you and I will step into a moment of temptation, whether it's a bad business deal, whether it's an Im- illicit relationship, whether it's just some uh, uh, bad banned substance. You and I will step into this, and we haven't pre decided what to do. Hey, it's not to decide what to do when you're in the back seat of the car with the person you're not supposed to be and the windows are fogged up. That's not time to decide what should we do. It's too late. It's not time to decide once the, the drugs are out there. It's too late. It's not time to decide I'm in the room with the, about to sign the papers, a bad business deal. It's too late. You have to pre-decide what you're going to do. You have to make the decision what you're going to do long before you ever make the decision. You say, uh, I don't get that. Yes, you do. You do, actually. We do it all the time. Our country does it. Our businesses do it. You say, what do you mean pre-decide? Everybody pre-decides. My parents taught me like this. They said, Micaiah, if somebody ever comes to school and says, hey, your mom and dad said for me to pick you up, you're to ask them, hey, then what's my mom's maiden name? They'll know. And we would role play the situation. And they would teach me to pre-decide. What to do. You parents do that. How many parents do that? You teach your kids. You role play with them. How about this one? We do this one. We do this one. Hey, if there's ever a fire in the house. Here's where you escape. Now let's pretend. Let's get down. We crawl like this. And we do that as parents. So we do understand that there needs to be a predecision. Hey, your business does it. I worked in business in Palo Alto, and we would have what we call fire drills. There's not really a fire, but we would pre-decide the exit point, the escape points. We would go through all these things. We even, the place I worked, we even did a role play of a bomb threat. There was this package in a stairwell, and we had to treat it, and we were all on the radios. Everything was code blue, locked down, and we were role-playing the whole situation. We were pre-deciding what we were going to do in the event of a, uh, of a bad thing that was going to happen. And so the only place that doesn't do that is Christians. Our nation does it. It's called war games. We practice. What would we do if this kind of enemy were to show up? We rehearse it. We practice it. And then when it comes time to execute, we can execute flawlessly, perfectly, as best to our ability. But we as Christians, we never predecide. well, if I'm in this bad situation, what will I do? We don't do that. And I'm telling you right now, if you don't predecide how you will deal with Satan, how you will deal with sin, you will always fall to the temptation. You will always fall to the discouragement. You will always fall. You've got to make the decision right now. Jesus, he's my guide. He's a great God. He is there to, as my guard. He is there to help me. And I'm going to make the decision that when temptation comes, I'm going to go the other way. I'm not going to stay here. So we need to see Jesus as the good shepherd. But what does that mean? It means he's my guard, so I'm protected. Notice, secondly, verse number three, the Bible says this. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. See, this is one of the past passages, yeah, I love this. See, the Bible says that Jesus leads me, okay? So if I'm following Jesus, he's then my guide and if he's my guide then i can be at peace about the situations in my life because i'm not following micaiah i'm not following my heart my emotions my desires i'm following my guide i'm following the good the great shepherd he's leading me and if he's leading me then he's going to take me exactly where not only i want to be but where i ought to be he's leading me you know though it gets easier to follow someone the more you get to know them It's easy for me to follow my wife. My wife comes in this room right now and says, hey, Makai, I need you right now. I would just about drop everything and say, okay, what what is the need? But if there's some random stranger who I don't know, and they come in this room and say, hey, Makai, I need you to follow me right now, I'm going to say, no, I don't know you. I don't have a relationship with you, therefore, i.e., I don't trust you. But the more you get to know somebody, the more you trust somebody, the more you'll follow that person. So how close are you to Jesus this morning? Because if you're saying, yeah, Jesus hasn't led me in the right places lately. It's probably because the problem isn't with Jesus. The problem is probably with the sheep. And we need to say, hey, I need to get to know the shepherd more. The Bible says, and they know his voice. Do you know the voice of your master when he speaks? Do you hear him as you read your Bible? Do you hear him as you're praying, as you're singing worship to him? Do you hear the voice of your Savior? Or is it one of those distant voices that you don't recognize anymore? I can walk into a crowded room, and there can be all kinds of ladies just talking. That's what ladies do. They get in a the room, they just, talk, they just talk. But out of all the noise and all the chatter... And all the cackling and stuff, whatever's happening, I can pick out my wife's voice. I can do it. It's like, it's like this tuning fork. I just kind of beep, 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 beep. There she is. I found her and made life easier. But if you were to walk in the same room and I say, hey, can you find Jane for me? You might have a much harder time than me. You might say, i Forget it. Look at all these ladies. You know, matter of fact, I'm going to join in and talk to them. You know, forget fine and Jane, you know. And it's because when you know the person, you can follow the person. So the question is, how well do you know him this morning? You'll follow him a lot closer the better that you know him. But too often, you and I, we're playing Texas Hold'em with God. You said, what do you mean? I know, I know. Some of you, you're, you're good Christians. You, you don't know what card games are. And, 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 and it's a, uh, you, I know you wouldn't talk to them. You wouldn't have anything to do with them. But we're going to go with this illustration for a little while. Texas, hold them, okay? And imagine you're playing cards, and you've got all these chips. And uh, uh, you, you say, you know what? I'm, I'm not going all in with my chips. Even though you've got a great hand, and you know that you might be able to win. You say, I'm just going to put in one or two chips. See, the problem is, that's kind of what we do. We're playing holdout on God. We hold out on it. Even though we know we've got a great hand, we say, God, I know I should follow you. I know that you're going to do great things, but I'm going to hold back. And I'll just throw one or two. I'll just give you my Sunday. Hey, I'll just give you 30 minutes once a day. How about that? See, God wants us all in. But sadly, you and I, we're playing hold out on God for one reason. So we won't miss out on something the world's got. I was a college pastor for years over at Liberty. And it was always the funniest thing. I would always plan an activity. We would go laser tag, or we would go, uh, we're going to go, um, there's a pumpkin patch out in Hollister we'd go to, and uh, we'd do all this stuff, and I would call up the people and say, hey, you guys coming? They would say, who else is coming? What do you mean who else is coming? We'd plan the activity. You said you wanted to go. Now you want to know who else is coming? Yeah, I want to know who else is coming. I'm going to be there. The Holy Spirit will be there, and my wife will be there. So why aren't you going to be there? And they'd say, "Well, well, well I'm going to wait and see. Wait and see for what? In case something better comes up. And we do that all the time with the Lord. We're saying, God, I would follow you, but I'm going to wait just in case I might get this really good job opportunity. So I'm not going to commit to a ministry. Because I don't know if if I'm just going to need to uproot my family and move on. And I don't know if I'm just going to need to uproot and find somewhere else. So I don't want to go all in. I'll just give you one or two chips. We need to say this one. I'm going to go all in with God. Because guess what? God's not holding back on you. So why are you holding back on God? God says, hey, follow me. I will lead you. I'm your guide. I'll take you where you need to be. But we're playing Texas and We're saying, no, no, I'm going to hold on to this. And I'm not going to give in to all that God has. There's a wonderful verse for you. It says this. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them who walk uprightly. That's a great verse. When you say, God, I'm all in, God says, good, I'm all in with you. And I'm telling you what, you've never bet enough money on a winning horse. And God, sorry to use that term, don't mean to demean him, but he is the winning horse in your life. You need to bet all your chips. Put it all in with God because he's your guide. Go after him. Follow him. He'll lead you. There's safety in that. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not into thine own understanding, all thy ways. Acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths there's a lot of peace there my friend when you know that it wasn't me who got me here it was God who got me here and my wife and I we were out for her birthday for dinner and we were just talking she was asking about the message and I wrote down these three points it just kind of came right there at the dinner table and I had pulled out my phone which I know is a bad habit to do when you're on a date with your wife I said honey excuse me for five seconds I gotta write a sermon real quick because life's speaking to you and life will teach if you'll listen and if you don't listen life will teach harder is what I've learned. And I got this point. I said, okay, if God is my guide, I'm not going anywhere. He hasn't led me. Then that means whatever point, wherever God has gotten me to... It's, he's brought me here. I didn't do it, he did it. So if it's a good situation, I give him the glory. If it's a bad situation, I still give him the glory because I'm following him. He's leading me and there's peace in that. There's a peace in knowing that the decision was his and not mine. There's a lot of unrest. There's a lot of sleepless nights. There's a lot of, I need to take some Benadryl to get some sleep tonight because I don't know if I made the right decision on this plan. And I don't know if the person that I'm sleeping next to is the one that I should have married. And I don't know if the person I'm in business with was the one I was supposed to be in business with. And I don't know if I was supposed to move here. There's a lot of unrest in that. And you'll give yourself ulcers. And you'll be up at night. And you'll have headaches. And you won't be able to sleep. Why? Because there's no peace in your heart. You see, if he's my guide, then I can be at peace. Because I'm going where he's led me. And if he's led me there, that's where I ought to be. And it's where I want to be. So if I'm not going anywhere, he hasn't led me. I'm not going anywhere, he hasn't already been. He's been there before. So wherever I'm going, he's already been there. I don't have to worry about it folks. He's been there. He'll see me through it. And some of us, that's exactly what we need to come back to, that he is guiding me. No more stressful situation. No more do I have to wonder about this? Is this going to be a life-threatening situation? No more am I facing a financial decision? He's there facing a relationship conflict. He's there facing abandonment. He's there facing victimization. He's there. I can now exchange my life pressures for God's living peace because he's there. He's leading me. This psalm was taken directly out of Psalms 23. This passage of scripture, if you were to go to Psalms 23, they correlate so perfectly. The Bible says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He's leading me. He's guiding me. So wherever I'm at or wherever I'm headed, it's where He wants me to be. And that's the decision I need to make. But I won't make it if I'm not all in. This morning, are you all in? Or are you still on the fence? And some people say, you know what? I, I haven't made a decision. I'm just on the fence. Can I tell you what? Your indecision is a decision. That's a decision to just not do anything. That's a decision to just say, I want to play limbo. No, no, no. Are you all in or all out? You've got to go all in for God. And then also, I wrote down this third thing. I'm not going anywhere he hasn't planned. You see, nothing catches God off guard. He's not going to say, oops, man, we got a course correct. Oops, we got to get back to where we're supposed to be. Oops, I didn't follow the map. Oops, the GPS is wrong. Oops, Siri didn't tell me the right address. Oops, this didn't happen. No, God's not going to do that. God's not going to mess up. God's going to say, oh, man, I didn't update my iOS, so these maps are all wrong. I'm sorry. i got to recorrect your life. i got to get you in a new relationship. got to get you a new job. What are you doing in California? we got to get you to Michigan or something. Uh, please don't go to Michigan you know, and uh, stay in California. And God, no, he's not going to do that. God said, no, I am leading you. You're right where I want you to be, so have a peace in your heart. And for some of you, that's what you need right now. You are doubting everything about your life right now you have so much doubt, it is weighing so heavily on you, you're doubting your salvation, you're doubting your existence, you're doubting what's your purpose in your life, you've got so much doubt and you're just like, I don't know what to do. Guess what? It's not up to you to decide. It's up to you to follow. And then trust that he'll lead you to where you need to be. And eventually you'll get to where you want to be. I've always found that when I said, God, I will leave the decision completely up to you. God has never left me thinking, oh man, because there was a long time I used to think, well, if I surrender my life to the Lord, I'm going to go have to be a missionary in Africa and marry an ugly wife. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to be stuck there. It's going to be horrible. I'm going to hate it. So, no, God, I'm not, I'm not giving. I'm not going all in. You can have a chip or two. I'll give you Sundays. But I don't want to marry an ugly wife and live in Africa. No, I don't want to. And it's like God saying, wait a minute. I'm God. Do I hold back on my children? No. The Bible says no good thing will he withhold. Also, the Bible says, the blessings of God, he maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow to it. God's not saying, hey, I'm going to bless you, then punish you. No, God wants to bless your life. You're his child. What did you parents say, man, I can't wait till I can ruin my child's life today? I just can't wait for your birthday. I'm going to get you the worst present. I'm going to go to the Goodwill, and I'm going to find the nastiest, oldest piece of clothing I can get. It's going to be the wrong size. It's going to be the wrong gender. But I'm going to give it to you, because I want you to have a horrible birthday. All the balloons are going to be in black. Your birthday cake is going to be wrong ingredients, and man, I just can't wait to ruin your life. We wouldn't do that as a parent, but sometimes we think God does that with us. We think, well, I haven't been good enough. Can I really run on something? (laughs) We're never good enough. If God's goodness to us was dependent on our goodness to Him, we would all be in a very bad situation. But God says, I love you everlasting. My love for you doesn't end. It has no ending. You see, He is my guard. He is my guide. But lastly, notice this. He is my giver, so I'm provided for. Notice verse number 11. The Bible says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life with a sheep. You see, I love the way that you could say this. When he's talking about this abundant life in verse number 10, he wants to give us life, but not just life, but abundantly. It's his overflowing life. As I began to think about this, I wrote it like this, that they might have a life more abundant than that which was lost and forfeited by sin, more abundant than that which was promised by the law of Moses, and more abundant than we could ever expect or imagine. That's the life that he's promising in verse 10. That's what he wants to give to you in verse number 11. And some of you, you're so doubtful, you're so skeptical that God still loves you and wants to bless you. And I'm telling you, it's right there. And I'm going to prove it because this passage was birthed out of chapters 8 and chapter 9. And you're going to see this, and I hope it changes you. And I hope something that was dead inside of you will come alive this morning. Because there is a truth here that I can't wait to share with you. I've I've been waiting all week. You see, Jesus wanted to teach something here. And I want to step back in our mind's eye and imagine for a second. In Bethlehem, which is just seven miles outside of Jerusalem, Bethlehem was known for many things. One thing it was most known for was it was known for its shepherds. And we see that in Luke chapter number two, there were shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch of their flock by night. You know the song. And uh, uh, these shepherds, they're all over. You say, what were these shepherds for? The sheep weren't mainly for a source of food or wool. The main reason these sheep existed was to be a sacrifice for the temple in Jerusalem. So imagine Jesus Christ, he's here teaching, okay, and he's drawing his disciples in. He's using a visual picture. He's, he seems, he's in Jerusalem, but he's almost pointing, you could see him almost point to Bethlehem. Uh, Jerusalem's up on a mountain, and I've been there, and you can look down in the valley and you can see Bethlehem with your eye. It's only six miles, it's clear. You can see it plain as day. So you can picture Jesus, he's standing there, and he's almost with a gesture, gesturing to Bethlehem. And he's saying, imagine for a second that there's a shepherd down there. He's got a favorite sheep. This sheep is special to him. It's a beautiful white woolly sheep. And this sheep, he kind of keeps away from the others. This sheep, he lets it into his house. This sheep, he holds. This sheep is like a pet, not like a cat, not like a chihuahua. This is something he loves. And this this sheep, he takes with him. He guides and he helps. And one day, imagine a servant from the temple comes. And it's that one time a year where they're going to offer the sacrifice for the whole nation of Israel. And not just any sheep will do. Not just any turtle dove will do. Not just any bull will do. You have to have a perfect, spotless sheep. Imagine as this servant comes to the city of Bethlehem. He's picking out a sheep. And he looks at all the sheep and he sees a couple. But then he sees the shepherd walking with the sheep. And he says, there it is. There's the sheep that I need. That's the lamb that I need. That's the perfect spotless lamb. That's the one. And he goes over to the shepherd and says, shepherd, we need your sheep to offer up the yearly sacrifice. To atone for the sins, not just for your family, not just for the people of Bethlehem, but for the nation of Israel. And imagine that shepherd saying, no, you, you can't have this sheep. i've got hundreds of sheep i got thousands of sheep you can you can take any i won't even charge you. you can have it for free and imagine that that servant saying no 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 i've looked at the sheep i've been all over it's been all day and i haven't found one we've got to make the sacrifice only that sheep will do and imagine that shepherd looking down at the sheep with love in his eyes this big burly shepherd a man that's never shed a tear ever in his life, hardened, hands calloused, rough life. His skin is leathery from being out under the stars and the winter elements. And here this man looks down, and you can see that there's a deep longing and desire to protect this sheep. And he looks at the temple servant, and he says, You can't have this sheep, but you can take me instead. That's what Jesus was trying to say to his disciples. He was saying, you deserve to die. You're the sheep. I'm the sheep. But the shepherd took his place. The shepherd said, I'm going to put it all on the line for you. I'm willing to go. And I know this story is almost ridiculous. What person would lay down their life for a sheep? Never. You wouldn't do it. But Jesus said, I will do it. But can I tell you what? It's a lot of value. Not that we're better than sheep, folks. That's why we're called sheep throughout the Bible. Sheep are dumb. Sheep are stupid. Sheep get lost chasing their own tail. Sheep don't know which way is up or down. If sheep are up on, laying on their back, they don't know how to get back on their feet. They don't know how to do that. Cats at least have that on them, where the cat can get back on its feet. So the cat wins one for the cat, zero for the sheep. And uh, so understand, the sheep know. And God says, that's you. But the good shepherd the great shepherd said, so, I'll trade. I'll take that place. So this morning, he's your giver. You're provided for. He has come so that you might have life. Not just abundant, spiritual, heavenly, eternal life, but something in the here and now. Say, what's going to help me right now? I'm dying this morning on the inside. I came in, I smiled, and I said, hey, how do you do? And I, I went through all the regular ceremony on a good Sunday. I look nice, and I'm ready to go. But something inside i need something deeper i need you to go back and i need you to see in chapter number nine where the story was birthed out of mind you to see a story we're going to look at two stories as we wrap things up in chapter number nine this is the story of the disciples they're sitting around and they see a blind man the bible says and as jesus passed by he saw a man which was blind from his birth and the disciples asked him saying master who did sin this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh, where no man can work. Here's a mess of humanity. Here is mankind at picture here in chapter 9. And I feel bad for this blind man. Because the Bible says he's blind, not deaf. And imagine that you're, you're hobbling along. Maybe you're feeling against a wall, or maybe you've got a stick to guide you, or maybe you have a relative guiding you down the street. And imagine you hear these no-good disciples talking, Hey, who sinned? Did the blind guy sin, or did his parents sin? What's up with that? How would you feel as you're this blind person, barely scratching out an existence, you beg for your daily bread, and here you hear the disciples talking about you. As you're trying to go by. And here Jesus says, neither. His parents didn't sin. He didn't sin. But this is for the glory of God. This is something I'm going to do in this situation. You know, right now you may be feeling like my, my life is kind of a mess right now. My life, I don't have it all together. And in my mess of humanity, the mess of my life, and I, I feel like, like this blind man. There's a part of me that just feels like it's dead. There's a part of me that just feels like it's not working. And, and here this, here this, this person, here, here he comes And in this, this mess, and God says, hey, I will add some meaning to the mess. Because Jesus, once again, not looking for, uh, looking for an opportunity to teach his disciples. He said, hey, I'm going to show you there's some meaning in this mess. I'm going to do something in this man's humanity. I'm going to do something great here. You see... You and I, we are a mess. We do have issues. We do have problems. Nothing's perfect. Nothing's like we would like it to be. We can go to our homes and it's not all that we'd want it to be. We can look at our personal lives and say, it's not all that I want it to be. We can look at our, 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 our business and say, man, I wish it was more. We can look at our spiritual walk with God and say, man, I wish it was more. And we can look at our life and we can just see the mess. And I'm telling you this morning, God says, I'm going to show you some meaning in the mess. I'm going to show you what I want to do in that mess. Maybe your life hasn't turned out all that you wanted to. Maybe some things kind of caught you off guard. Maybe something caught you out of left field. And you're saying, God, what's going on? And there's a great verse. I love to quote it. It's in Psalms 103, verse 14. The Bible says, for he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. We're just dust. We dress it up. We try to make it look nice. We're just dust. Look at your neighbor and say, you're just dust. Just dust. Just dust. That's what we are. I remember one time I was at my brother's church. And uh, after the message, I didn't preach. Somebody else preached. But I was moved by the message. And uh, my brother asked me to pray. And the message had to do with our frailty, but God's faithfulness. And my mind, as you're praying, sometimes you'll hear somebody, they'll pray a scripture. Well, I prayed this scripture and as I was up there. And he's got a couple hundred people there. He's got a good-sized church, and I'm up there. But I kind of misquoted the verse. And I was praying, God, you're so good, and you remember that we are but dust. And I heard somebody go, where they kind of fight back a little, uh, where you want to explode in laughter, but you can't. And I didn't quite get what was going on, but I just remember I get worked up fairly easily. And in the, the, the heated fervor. I began to say, God, we are nothing but worthless, stinky butt dust. And afterward, I said that. The whole auditorium erupted. And at that point, I knew that there was nothing spiritual happening here. I was lost. The auditorium was gone. Everybody loved. And I still was oblivious, but I'm red now. I'm just embarrassed. And I go down, and then my wife or my brother, one of them says, Oh, Micaiah, what's butt dust? And I said, What do you mean? He said, you kept saying butt dust. (laughs) Yeah, you and I this morning, we're butt dust. We are. That's what we are. There's nothing good about us. But in this passage, God does something with the dust. He said, what do you mean? You see, there's meaning in the mess. But there's a miracle as well. He said, what do you mean? You have to stay tuned. This is awesome. This This is what you came for right now. There's a miracle out of our misery. Notice verse number seven. This is awesome. You got to see it. And he said unto them, or we got to back up. We got to back up. This is too good. Verse number six. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which by the interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. Hey, there's a miracle in your misery right now. You don't feel very good. Your situation doesn't look very good. But God says, hey, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives you life everlasting, but life in the present. Remember, chapter 10 is birthed out of chapter number 9, because chapter number 9, Jesus saw how the Pharisees treated this man who is healed, and Jesus didn't like how somebody treated his children very much, especially these religious hypocrites. And so Jesus is saying, hey, I'm not like them. I'm going to show you that I give you life, not just eternally, but life right here and right now. It's not about a bunch of rules, not about a bunch of, did you keep the whole list. It's about your relationship with Him. And God is saying, that's what I'm all about. And there was a miracle here that God wants to do. And God wants to step into your mess. He wants to step into your misery. And He wants to do a miracle here. Can you imagine for a second this blind man? He's blind. He hears Jesus walking over to him. And he's thinking, great, what's Jesus going to do? Is He going to speak the word of healing? Is He going to blow on me? Is He going to do a Benny Hinn thing? I've heard Benny Hinn will slap you on the forehead. And uh, maybe that's what he'll do. What is He going to do? And uh, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, nothing, nothing blind man, blind man, he can hear and he hears and he's thinking hmm, that's interesting maybe it's a pre-game warm-up that, maybe that's what he does to kind of get ready for the miracle maybe that's kind of how he psychs himself up because he's about to speak a word of healing or maybe he's about to touch me or maybe he's going to do something maybe he's going to say something and so maybe this is all part of it and all of a sudden he hears hmm, that's interesting and all of a sudden he's thinking what's going on, I can't see, I can hear and all of a sudden he feels something on his eyes and he's like connecting the dots between the spit, the dirt, and now it's on his eyes. There's mud on his eyes. Yesterday, there was a few ladies from the church that they went on a mud run. They enjoyed the mud. I said, something's wrong with this picture. But they had a great time playing in the mud. Grown adults playing in the mud. They had a good time. Join them next year. And, uh, but this, isn't, this is different. He didn't choose to have the mud. Jesus put the mud on his eyes. And you would think, well, that would, that would do it. That would do it. And she said, no, no, no. Now you've got to go and wash. And God did a great miracle. You see, there's going to be some things you don't understand how God's working in your life. You're thinking, God, can't you just speak it and heal my life? God, can't you just, like, put a million dollars in my bank account and take care of my financial situation? God, can't you just restore this relationship? We haven't spoken forever. And can't you just make that person call me and apologize? God, can't you just, just take my boss to heaven? I wouldn't wish worse, but, I mean, just take him to heaven. It'd end all my problems. And we just kind of, that's how we look at situations. Like, God, can't you just do it that way? And God says, no, I have my way. And Jesus, he put clay on his eyes. He put some mud. And he said, now you've got to go and wash it. Now you've got to go do something with it. This morning, don't just think, oh, I just sit here. Process of osmosis. It's just happening to me. All my burdens, all my pain, all my guilt, everything I've ever done wrong, everything that's uh, messed up in my life is just melting away. No, no, God says, I will forgive him. that's instant. But we've got to work out some of these things. There's our part in the miracle as well. But then also, we see that there's meaning in the mess. There's miracles out of our misery. But you've got to back up one more chapter. One more chapter. I know we're taking a lot of time, but this is good. You don't want to leave here without it. I want you to see this last passage, John 8. You see, chapter 10 is birthed out of chapters 8 and 9. See, Jesus Christ, he was saying, hey, there's robbers. They want to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's Satan. It's also these religious hypocrites, these Pharisees. And in chapter 8, these religious Pharisees, they came, verse number 3, and the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that he might have have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. Once again, God is doing something in the dirt, in the dust. You see, God is doing something in your situation. He's working. And notice, the Bible says, So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Some scholars have debated, what did Jesus write? Some say he began to write the names of the people around and their sins. John, lust, Sam's wife. And John and Sam both have rocks. And all of a sudden, John starts leaving. And Sam follows, except Sam keeps his rock just in case. And they're going to have a little conversation down the road. So there's, there's that perspective. There's also the other perspective that, uh, that maybe Jesus was writing the Ten Commandments. Then there's a more deep theological thought that maybe Jesus is just doodling. He's bored. Didn't have the app on his iPad yet. There's that thought. We don't know what he was writing, but he was writing. Verse number 10. And when Jesus lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, Where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. I want you to see there's mercy for our mistakes. There's mercy for our mistakes. She's guilty, folks. And Jesus is not excusing that. He's not saying, Oh, it's okay. You'll do better next time. He's saying, Yeah, I know you messed up. You see, Jesus, he was the one that knew all her dirt but wasn't going to drag her through her dirt. You see, Jesus, he knows all about you. He knows all that you've done, but he doesn't drag you through it. Somebody, every once in a while, somebody posts something good on Facebook, and I got this off Facebook. It was just so good. Satan knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. God knows your sin, but he calls you by your name. Satan reminds you of your guilt. He reminds you of your past. He reminds you of your failure. He reminds you of when you did make the mistake. But God says, hey, I'm not here to accuse you. I'm here. Why? Because in John chapter number 10, I'm the life giver. I'm here to give you life. Not just there. Not just there, folks. So stop going around just thinking, oh, yeah, he's that good, gentle shepherd, passive, meek and mild shepherd. No, no. This is a shepherd that's a guard. This is a shepherd that's a guide. This is a shepherd that's a giver. This is more. He's not just a good shepherd. He's a great shepherd. Say that one more time to your neighbor. He's not just a good shepherd. He's a great shepherd. He's a great shepherd. You say, Brother Micaiah, you keep saying that. Why are you saying that? Because I found a verse in Hebrews thirteen twenty this week as I was studying. It says this. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd. You see, once he laid down his life, And once he guards you, once he guides you, he ceases to just be good. He ceases to be great. I ask you again, is Jesus just ho-hum? Are you just in close proximity? Or are you actually open to him? Are you all in on this relationship? Because Jesus doesn't want to be just that abstract meek and precious moments, shepherd. He wants to be more than that. What is he to you this morning? Because we as a church will never grow deeper. We will never go farther until we have this view of Jesus that isn't just the pastor's view, not just our spouse's view, not just the Sunday school children as they're learning about Jesus' view. It's got to be our view. It's got to be how we see Jesus and how we see Jesus. It'll affect our families. It'll affect our friends. It'll affect our church. It'll affect our business. And everywhere we go, people will say, they know the shepherd. They're close to the shepherd. And they follow the shepherd. And their life isn't necessarily perfect and easy. But whenever they get somewhere, there's peace in knowing that the good, the great shepherd guided them there. And that's a peace you need to walk out of this room having this morning. That's a peace you cannot afford to say, I'll go one more day without. You need to know that he's there even though we make mistakes. He's there to work miracles out of our misery. And he gives meaning to our messed in life. He'll give you that meaning. Did you know? If you take those last 3 subpoints, and you could take the first subpoints, they contradict. Satan wants to rob and take and steal, and God says, I'm here to give, give, give. Which one do you want to follow this morning? The one will offer you a sweet deal up front, but the back end is last. You don't want the back end. You don't want to deal with that. Hey, single person, you don't want to deal with it. The world, it'll, it'll promise you so much man it'll cheat you every single time read the story about the prodigal the, the son luke 11 you will see it's not right it's not right so this morning he's not just a gentle shepherd he's not just a good shepherd he's the great shepherd that guards guides and gives so will you go to him today he says hey i'm here will you come to him today every head bowed and every eye closed let's all stand